everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. This is a show that really is designed to empower you with truthful information so you can make informed decisions. At least I trust it's uh, truthful information. From my experience, I always try to provide you with really inspiring, knowledgeable guests that share their wisdom, share their experience, share their journeys of transformation, of healing, and offer you greater knowledge. You know, I just believe so strongly in empowering people with that knowledge so people can make their own informed decisions. Informed decisions, that's where it's at these days. You need to be informed and then find the path for you. So that's really what the show is offering people and the guests that I have are wonderful guests that have so much to share and so many experiences that just add to our knowledge. So today is no exception. We're going to be talking about optimizing your health, reducing risk of chronic disease with my guest, Emily Goldmears. And um, yeah, we have a great conversation in store for you. I want to share a little bit about Emily. She is a citizen scientist, research analyst, biohacker, and author. A former attorney, Emily shifted her advocacy efforts to seek information on optimizing one's health through extensive research, analysis in science and medicine. Her research focuses on the intersection of functional and allopathic medicine and the critical requirements for individuals to become their own health advocate. She is actively involved in several health-related research nonprofit organizations as a speaker and collaborator who is dedicated to simplifying language and educating people to live healthier and longer lives. And what could be better than that? So it's my great pleasure to welcome Emily Goldmears to the show. Emily, it's so nice to have you here today. Thank you, Dr. Selman. It's so nice to be here with you. So uh, I, I always love hearing people's journeys and their own personal stories and how a former attorney became a biohacker <laughs> you know, and author on health. Uh, so let's talk about your journey. And uh, I'd like to say, what kind, of, what, what kind of law did you practice when you were an attorney? I was a real estate transactional attorney, which I must confess, was rather dry and uninspiring. I did not love what I did at all. But having said that, what I gained was some very good research skills. And I had always loved science and was always interested in health. And I used those research skills to dive deep into hard-to-access information um, and learn about health. And part of my inspiration was when my father got sick, I was fortunate to have the best dad in the world, and he got vascular dementia. And he, from all observations, he seemed to have a kind of healthy life. He exercised. He read a lot. He didn't overeat. He didn't seem to have any underlying conditions. He didn't have diabetes or heart disease, but he got vascular dementia. And I needed to know why. How did he get that and how could I avoid it? Because it was really awful, as so many people are experiencing, watching a loved one decline from one of these neurodegenerative diseases. It is just 
painful because it's slow and steady. And I was not delighted with how the conventional healthcare system was handling his disease. It seemed completely unhelpful. So I began frantically researching to see if there was anything I could find to maybe slow the progression. And what I found was quite grim, that despite billions of dollars allocated to drug research and many brilliant scientists and doctors devoting their lives to finding cures for these diseases, there has been very little meaningful progress. Just recently, there was a drug that everyone was excited about, and this morning I read that there was a third death associated with the taking of this drug. And it became so grim to me that I broadened my research um, to find out about how one can avoid chronic disease. Because contrary to popular belief, most of these diseases do not have a big genetic component. Genetics is a huge area of interest for me, and I've been diving deep into that, and I work with a man out of Boston who started the first whole genome sequencing clinic at Brigham and Women's Hospital. But I've learned that genetics represent maybe 10%, depending upon who you ask, 10 to 20% of most of these diseases. And the remainder can be associated with lifestyle choices. And while that can be overwhelming, it's also very optimistic and hopeful because we can take some control over our lifestyle choices. And I learned so many wonderful things, many of which are low, low cost or free, and so there's not a lot of financial incentive for the business community to promote these things. And I thought, I need to share the information with people who may not be as inclined to do the research that I've done, and everyone should know, because in America, we are getting sicker by the day. The CDC just came out with a statistic that lifespan is declining, and the current system and approach is not working. So. Well, well, that just becomes a whole new universe that you opened yourself to explore. But I want to get back to your dad. Um, what did you find out about vascular dementia? And I guess they, they did some scans to make that diagnosis as opposed to other forms of dementia. You know, I'm not sure how they did. My mom was kind of in charge of his health care, and she went the complete conventional route. She, you know, because of her age, she felt more comfortable with that. Um, but somehow they had great doctors, and somehow they determined that it was vascular dementia. And I, of course, will never be able to find out exactly what the cause was, but because he didn't have terrible eating habits, but he loved sugar, like I love sugar. And he ate, he would have ice cream and cookies, not a huge amount, but consistently. And he loved grapes and things like that. And I, a lot of people are calling Alzheimer's and dementia diabetes 3, that there is definitely a glucose component, that excessive glucose is crossing the blood-brain barrier and contributing, whether it's to the amyloid beta plaques or just the degeneration of the brain, it's not clear yet. But the more I learned, the more I realized sugar is not our friend. And this was quite an awakening for me because I love sugar. Sugar was pretty much my main food group growing up. Um, and so that was something important for me to learn. 
Uh, that's funny, your name too, Drew. <laughs> At least you made it to, to be grown up. That was your main food group, right? You're a survivor. You know, I just recently interviewed um, another guest who wrote a book about um, memory. And her, her story was her mother was diagnosed with dementia, and that set her on a path of um, formulating the very best product. And we talked about some of the root causes or contributing factors to this growing epidemic of dementia. And sugar was on the top of her list, Emily. <laughs> so sugar yeah. is a toxin. It's a toxin. But, you know, by the time, how old was your dad when, you, when this was occurring? Well, he died at 91. And I think um, he was a very proud man. I think he had symptoms far in advance of his death. I think maybe six or more years before, but he kept it close to his vest and he didn't let on. But, you know, he had certain memory lapses. And I would say for probably two to three years, it was really bad and very steady, a very steady decline and hard to watch. Yeah, it's hard to watch. Did he eventually have to go into a facility? He was lucky enough that he was at home. My mom set it up so, you know, he had caregivers and he was able to continue his life and die at home, a home where they've lived for 60 years. So the familiarity was helpful, that it was mm-hmm. familiar surroundings. But, yeah, it's a hard thing. and The numbers are scheduled to increase. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point and, and why I just wanted to on this topic a little bit because um, we're seeing this epidemic of dementia and it is it, it is um, so devastating to find a loved one especially if you're a their husband or wife and you're you know a child taking care of a parent and you just see them losing their memories and losing their personality and you know eventually you know it may not just become more or less a vegetable it's horrible and um, and you're right, you know, from what I've been researching and the guests that I've had on previously on the show, there is no medication that can help us, no medication that can help us. But there's a lot we can do, and I'm sure that's what we're going to talk a little bit more about. There's a lot that we can do preventatively because we know there are factors that are contributing, like the type 3 diabetes uh, connection with the brain and impairment of the functioning of the brain and toxic exposure and the uh, effect of our gut health. I mean, there's so many things that we have to be proactive about. In fact, we must be proactive about because if these conditions are contributing to a chronic degenerative, degenerative condition of our brain, it's often too late, right? To, re- to regress yeah. it, we need to be proactive. What are your thoughts about mm-hmm. that from your research? I completely agree, but I also think that that's really hopeful. Thank goodness that there is some information out there, and we can take control. It's like we don't have to just stand on the train tracks waiting for the big train to come get us. There are things that we can do to, at the very least, postpone the onset of these chronic diseases. And I find that really optimistic. Um, you know, it's important to take control of one's health. Well, that really is uh, 
what our challenge is these days is um, not only to reverse health problems that so many people are struggling with, but ultimately, and this is my passion, I want to optimize my health every step of the way of my life, right? So, you know, I just don't accept things. I don't um, allow, you know, conditions to just show up in my body and ignore them or put a Band-Aid on it. And, uh, and, you know, I'm blessed as a naturopath, and I've just always been curious to find natural solutions and uncover the root cause, as I'm sure you are now. And yeah. the, the inspiring thing about being curious is that there, there are always solutions. There are always solutions. Maybe not what you think they are, but there are always solutions. So sometimes it's not what you think. Sometimes it's not about your diet. Sometimes it's about the mold in your home. Sometimes it's about the, the EMFs in your home. Sometimes it's about a trauma that has had a huge impact on you. Um, you know, it, it, it could be so many things, and that's the journey, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's addressing the different layers and optimizing your health all along the way. Absolutely. And one of my favorite areas, I have many, but one of my favorite areas is testing and tracking. I have a whole chapter in my book about that because I love the expression that you cannot fix what you can't measure. And if you look at it from a detective perspective and you maintain your curiosity, there are so many tests available and so many health tracking devices that can reveal such valuable information, metrics from where you can start and you can chronicle your journey. So it's an exciting time, I believe. So, so you uh, began your, uh, your path, I would say, on understanding how we can optimize our health from the experience that your dad had. And, um, and where did that lead you? What, what, was, what was the next step along this path of change and transformation. I gather you're no longer a practicing attorney in real estate transactions. I am not. I'm happy to report. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I did not find that satisfying at all. But I love all of this. I just love this because I think that, you know, everyone has a body. And one should be more familiar with their biology. Our, our bodies are remarkable. And I believe they're designed to heal. If we don't, you know, treat them horribly, and we do some things, it's, they're really quite remarkable. And I found when I was learning about how to help my dad, which, of course, ultimately I could not do, so many things that I was doing wrong. I, I mean, I was stunned at how many things I was doing wrong, and I slowly but surely tweaked many of them. I can't say I've achieved, you know, perfection or anything like that, but I've tweaked a lot of different aspects of my health, and I feel better today than I have felt in years. I was tired for a long time. I had two boys that I raised on my own, and I found myself tired, and I thought it was because I was driving my sons to ice hockey practice all over Southern California, but of course, then when they became driving age and they aged, they aged out of hockey, I was still tired, and I thought, okay, well, that could have been it, so I need to dig a little deeper. Um, I found that my food choices were really bad. As I said, sugar and gluten were my favorite food groups. And because I was athletic, I didn't put on weight, and so I didn't understand. I didn't even acknowledge what I was doing internally. 
And when I began doing all these testing and tracking metrics, I thought, oh, my, you know, I'm micronutrient deficient. I'm deficient in this. I can't eat that. And I changed everything, and I could feel the impact and how much better I felt. And that inspired me to continue along and tweak so many of these things. So I just want other people to know that there's so many things you can do and who doesn't want to feel as good as they possibly can. Well, that was certainly an aha moment, right? When you had that clarity to to recognize that there were some of your food choices. Um, Can I, I just want to ask you a little bit more about that because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who also have similar, you know, issues. They like their sweets, they like their, you know, dark chocolates, their ice cream, their pastries, you know. I I, um, <laughs> I used to love all those, uh, you know, chocolate croissants, <laughs> you know, until Me I, too. I discovered. Yeah, yeah. So I, when, I, when I was diagnosed with uh, Hashimoto's and autoimmune and found out I was gluten tolerant, that, that was the end of that. And, um, but, but, you know, what, what was it that, um, first of all, awakened you to this? And then what did you have to do to actually make those changes? Because those foods are so addictive and it's yeah. really hard to give up the pasta and, you know, the cookies and, you know, all the stuff that's just so appealing and tempting. Yeah, indeed. I completely agree with you. Well, the way I found out was I was I was frustrated that I was so tired and I didn't have enough energy. And I thought, I, I don't, you know, I want more energy. So I somehow, I found a doctor that was in Northern California. I think he's a naturopath too. And I tried to get in to see him and he had, I think, a five-month wait. And in order to go see him, it required doing about eight or ten different tests every kind of test you could imagine, blood work, saliva, stool, urine. I mean, you name it, I was testing it. I practically had to write a spreadsheet to figure out which <laughs> ones I was doing at what point, which foods I had to avoid before, which is it was quite complicated. Um, and when I went to go see him, after I completed the test and I waited the, the five-month waiting period, I flew to Northern California where I was located and he had all the results of the test laid out. And the first thing he said to me, he said, you have bad celiac disease. I said, what? You know, gluten was my second favorite food group. I would have, you know, sandwiches and pretzels and all those kind of bakery products all the time. And I said, that's odd because I never had a stomach ache. And he explained to me that celiac or, or gluten intolerance, he said I had full-blown celiac, which I found shocking. Um, now, wow. I'm not 100% sure. I've learned since that it's not clear that you can really diagnose this without diagnose it without a more intrusive test where they snip part of your um, intestines. I did not have that test. But he advised me to never have gluten again. And he explained to me that even though I'd never had stomach aches to alert me that the food was improper, that it can manifest itself through skin rashes and brain fog. And that's what scared me. I thought, I have brain fog. I don't have skin rashes and I don't have a stomachache, but I definitely have brain fog. And my father was alive at the time and I was concerned. And it frightened me enough 
because brain fog is a hard thing to assess because so many people experience different levels of it, and it's hard to measure. And I thought, okay, I won't eat it again. And I walked out of his office, and I never had another pretzel or piece of bread. I never had it again. And to answer your question as to how I stopped, the sugar was harder for me to stop because I love cookies um, and real, I love sweets. But the way that I did was I watched my father and I thought, I will do anything to avoid that fate. Nothing is worth ending up like that. And I did this calculation in my head that these cookies taste so good in your mouth for about 30 seconds. And then you pay for them for far longer. And, you know, from a mathematical point of view, it didn't balance out. 30 seconds of joy were a lot longer of harm. I thought, this doesn't make sense to me. And I don't want to get a neurodegenerative disease or any other chronic disease. So now I can't tell you that I've cut out sugar 100%. I probably reduced it 90%. I still will have dark chocolate occasionally, um, but which is a big improvement because I like milk chocolate. So dark chocolate is not quite as harmful. I try not to have it often, and I try to eliminate it where I can. And behavior is a huge component of all of this, of, of weight gain and weight loss and chronic disease and food choices. And that's a really hard thing. I mean, there's been a whole new field called behavioral economics, which has emerged recently, that tries to assess how people make the choices they do. And it's really, really complicated. But for me, Watching my father decline in this terrible, terrible way, I thought it's not worth it for a moment of joy to end up like that. And, and that's how I did it. Well, well, good for you. You know, I, I want to just share with you, and you might have come across this anyway in your research. Uh, one of my areas of uh, research was, um, and, and one of my guests is an expert on uh, glyphosate. Right, so glyphosate uh, is the the um, the herbicide that's in Roundup, and yes. uh, not only is it a weed killer, but it's put on all crops, including wheat, to accelerate the drying out before harvest. Right, and she was saying with statistics that um, my 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 old belief from what I was taught was that when we started hybridizing wheat, so instead of growing, you know, waving fields of grain six feet tall, it was like maybe 12 inches tall or whatever of uh, of wheat to make it easier to harvest. That that hybridization was altering the uh, gluten content and creating more gluten sensitivity, but the research that she had and what I've investigated since that all these gut issues and gluten sensitivities only really exploded when glyphosate went totally pervasively into the market and into into the uh, uh, agriculture scene. And isn't yes. that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I do know about so, that. As a matter of fact, I'm friends with one of the lawyers who brought the class action against Monsanto. Um, and he had fascinating research that he found because not only does it impair our gut, but it's carcinogenic. You know, many of the people he represented some lymphoma cases. 
So it's a disaster. What we have done to our food supply is quite shocking. I mean, in addition to depriving our soil of nutrients and minerals, the addition of all the chemicals has been, I think, a big disaster. It really has. And I'm a believer that if you don't optimize your gut first and foremost, you're going to have a really hard time fixing any other issue because it's connected to everything. And especially the brain. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, I'm always reading about how they're finding depression is, they're thinking now, has a gut microbiome component to it. I mean, it's really, yeah. it is sort of the foundation of all things, connected to the brain, to the vagus nerve. And most of us, I believe, are walking around with some degree of gut dysbiosis. I can't imagine that anyone has it perfect living as a human in the world today, but there are ways and things to do to improve it and try to get closer to a better balance of your gut bacteria. And I think it's important for everyone to try to do that. You know, I, I totally agree. I, I, you know, if, if it were up to me and I could just like make up a percentage of what I think it's a percentage of people in the United States, and it's probably true for uh, the UK, Canada, Australia, for sure. I'm not sure about the European countries because uh, they don't use the glyphosate as much. So they, you know, have you heard this? So when people go to Europe, they can eat the pasta and they can eat the breads and they don't have reactions. So when they come back here, they do. I have definitely uh, heard that. Yeah, and they don't use the glyphosate to the degree that's done here. But anyway, um, I would I give the figure ninety percent because um, not only is the you know the exposure to the glyphosate in our in so many foods and the GMO foods, but uh, how many people have antibiotics in their life and never really recover from antibiotics? And how many people have drugs that have antibiotic effects in destroying your gut microbiome, which includes steroids, which includes hormones, the birth control pill, hormone replacement therapy, they all act as antibiotics, wiping out or at least altering your gut microbiome, you know, and, you know, exposure to um, heavy metals, exposure to uh, whatever might be fluoride in your water. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so pervasive that I think, well, when you think about it, how we have, uh, how our culture has done everything to compromise the healthy gut microbiome and healthy gut function. It's really true. I mean, you know, currently the U.S. permits more than 85,000 chemicals in our food, water, commercial products that we put on our skin, used to clean, store food in, wear, sleep on, grow pops, grow crops within more. We're literally surrounded by toxins that have not been adequately tested for safety. And many of these are banned in other countries. It's, it just is shocking to me that we allow this. But we do. And people are paying the price. Yeah. So that's where this work that you're doing in educating people is so critically important because uh, hopefully more people are, are looking for solutions, and um, it's not going to come from our government, and it's not going to come from the medical fraternity, God bless them, but um, not about getting healthy and not about acknowledging some of these 
contributing factors that have really undermined our health. So we need to seek out sources that will educate us. And then we have to be willing, like you did, you were compelled, you had enough of a, of a negative experience to alter your behaviors, you know, painful negative experience watching your dad, that was the turning point for you to wake up to your health and make it a priority it, and learn. It, it was. It was. But I'm hoping that other people, they don't have to wait until they get sick or they watch a loved one. They should just know it's going to happen. <laughs> it really is. It will happen. So don't wait for that to happen and just do it preventatively. You know, why we don't emphasize prevention, I will not understand because, you know, I guess there's a lot of money in sickness. I hate to be so cynical, but the reality is there's a lot of money in sickness. Well, I think we can all agree on that. So that's why we need to, you know, have more proactive strategies. And I, I know there are other things that you learned that needed to be changed for your to optimize your health and well-being. So what are some of those other experiences, Emily, that kind of uh, woke you up along this, this journey you were on? Well, I, um, I start my book with the oral microbiome, and there's not quite as much written about the oral microbiome as there is about the gut microbiome. But I, you know, I, I kind of trace everything back to my dad, and one of the things that he did was he used mouthwash, Listerine, every day of his life. And so I started researching that. And it turns out it's important for people to know that um, optimal health literally begins in your mouth. There is a clear two-way relationship between oral wellness and systemic wellness. And when you use an alcohol-based mouthwash or any kind of product, it kills all of the bacteria on your tongue and in your mouth. And you don't want to kill all the bacteria because then you no longer have the good bacteria, which is there to help you. So... I dove into the oral microbiome, and I found instead of going to a conventional dentist, I switched to a biological dentist that did amazing things where they would take a sample of my saliva and put it under the microscope to determine what was floating around in there. And it was shocking to learn. But I took great care in changing out all the products that I used. I would no longer use a, a toothpaste that had fluoride or triclosan or any of the really nasty chemicals that inhabit most of the oral care products today. But the good news is there are a lot of non-toxic brands that are emerging. And one can make the switch and they should make the switch because you want to take good care of your mouth. Oh, yes, absolutely. I've, you know, I think many of us, including myself, have learned that along the way. And, um, you know, the, there's such a direct connection between periodontal disease and heart disease, for instance, as, as uh, you know, bacteria that can travel up through the bones into your bloodstream, into your heart. So, yes, you know, uh, taking the fluoride, getting toothpaste that are natural, no sugars, uh, no sodium what do they call it? What's it? What's the chemical? Sodium laurel. It's SLS. Sodium laurel. Yeah. I the S stands for it, but yeah. SLS is how it's abbreviated. Yeah. So you have to get your toothpaste from a good natural source or good, and even if, even some of the the health food stores, I find you still have to look at the labels because 
Um, not all products are equal, but uh, yeah, you know, and I've been doing um, uh, a strategy that uh, works with, um, uh, it's with coconut oil called oil pulling. Do you come across oil pulling? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I do that, too. I do that, too. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to have feel like you have a clean mouth. I also wanted to throw in there, as you added it, um, uh, gum disease is correlated with heart disease. Also, a particular bacteria in gum disease called P. gingivalis is associated with Alzheimer's and dementia. So all that bacteria goes right up into your brain. And so you want to treat it prudently. Well, yeah, so uh, good oral. Do you have any other uh, tips for good oral care that you have found? Um, well, I'm a little bit obsessive, I must confess. So I had all my silver fillings removed because I didn't want them in my mouth. You know, even I even had a gold crown, and I learned that they're never completely gold. They're mixed metals, and when you have them with silver fillings, they're they're cross-reactive, and I went to great pains to get them all out of my mouth, to have no metal. Um, I did that, and I um, am an obsessive flosser. But what I found that I think is the greatest thing is a water flosser. I think it's better for you than the actual string floss. And you can get one for very inexpensive, you know, $25, you can get a water flosser, and it just shoots water in your mouth. It's the greatest thing in the world, and I think it really keeps your mouth clean. So I would definitely suggest yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, and uh, I agree. I had all my amounts taken out. And I guess the caveat to that one is you need to go to somebody who is uh, trained in the proper protocols because if you're taking amalgams out and you have exposure to mercury, it can be a problem. So you need to go to a properly trained biological dentist. And I love the, the water flosser that you talked about because I've been using it now. And, um, you know, it can – it can do such a good job at uh, getting rid of food particles stuck between your teeth because those are what breed the bacteria, right? That can yeah. that can cause problems. And I, I love that water flosser. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. I think it's a great thing. Um, the okay, thing I so wanted I, to add in terms of in terms of products like toothpaste and, and all products, and this this covers beauty products and everything. They're so filled with chemicals. A lot of times what happens is they're small companies with wonderful missions who begin and they want a non-toxic formula and then they get purchased by a big conglomerate. I see this in the supplement industry. It's shocking to me. And the big conglomerates, they're only interested in making money. That is their bottom line and they change the formulation. So what once started out as a respectable, dependable, non-toxic product, you have to do a little more research to determine that it's still, it hasn't been bought up by a big, huge conglomerate. Yes, I agree. I've seen that over the years as well. Okay, what else? What else did you do wrong that you had to correct and improve upon? Oh, so many things. So I was a runner, a distance runner, and I ran every day. And I loved it. I found it to be almost meditative. I really, really loved it. Now, I have two bad knees as a result, but I didn't understand what I was doing internally. And it was too much exercise. And I was hurting myself. I was causing oxidative stress to myself. 
something I had no idea about. And no doctor, nobody ever told me about that. And I thought, oh. And I have since revamped my exercise routine. I, I have to exercise. I believe that um, being sedentary is one of the many problems that Americans face, and that contributes to disease. I believe that you need to be active throughout the day. Um, not necessarily what I did. I, I was a runner, but I also lifted weights because I needed to get strong to run. Um, and I would go to the gym for an hour, lift weights, uh, and I would run. And then in between that, I would have long spans of time where I sat at my computer. And that's not good. That is not good. That is not doing anybody any favors. You want to have constant, not intense, but constant movement throughout the day. If you do sit at your computer, every 45 minutes get up and walk around. Go up and down some stairs if you can. Go lift heavy things. Don't shy away from doing those kind of things. There's something called NEAT that I found that I loved. It stands for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis. And what it means is that little things that we do improve your metabolism, and they um, – affect what you do. It's associated with your resting metabolic rate, and that's the measure of how many calories you expend while breathing, resting, sleeping, eating, and doing gentle activities like cooking or gardening or house cleaning, and even fidgeting, which was heartening because I am a fidgeter. So little, I, I completely revamp my ex- the way that I exercise. I no longer do it so extremely or intensely, but I do it more gently and consistently. Well, I, I, you know, I'm, I, uh, I can't fathom being a runner. <laughs> like that is, would never be considered meditation in my world. It would be, it would be torture. I'm obviously not made for running. <laughs> you know, but get me on a bicycle, I'm good. <laughs> you know, well, but, yeah, that's uh, great. You know, but I, I, I think um, the point is that when we are excessive in exercising, it does, unless we have the right um, nutritional protocol to deal with the, um, the damage, the inflammation, the free radicals that occurred from excessive exercise, yeah, we can get into trouble. And, and I like the, the mindful side of it that, uh, you know, being aware that we need to be moving even though you know, it's gentle movements, all contribute to just keeping our body in motion and breathing and flowing rather than just sitting and being sedentary. So um, that's, a, yeah, it's a great strategy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I also so, learned that, that the way you breathe is critically important. That was something, <laughs> excuse me, that I took for granted. I thought that breathing is reflexive and autonomic and you just do it. But I didn't realize that many people are doing it incorrectly and that they're breathing through their mouth and they're breathing too shallow and thus not getting sufficient oxygen to their brain. And what one needs to do is train themselves to breathe through their nose and to breathe deeply and they will feel better. And it's also, I learned, a great stress alleviator. There's, um, I tried meditating. It was hard for me to meditate. I believe in it. I've read tons of clinical studies that support the benefits. There's so much value, but it's hard. It almost stressed me out more to do it because it was hard to quiet my mind. But I have found that certain breathing techniques 
are stress alleviators and can calm me down. Just something like box breathing, an inhale of four, a hold for four, an exhale of four, and holding the exhale for four. And I learned that if your exhale is longer, it, it completely calms you down and it triggers your parasympathetic nervous system and gets you out of the sympathetic. And I, for a long time, was stuck in sympathetic and needed to figure out a way, way out. And breathing is quite helpful. And it's very inexpensive. <laughs> yes. Anybody it can do it. Anything. It doesn't require skills. <laughs> right. No <laughs> skills involved. It's really true. And you know, I'm sure yogis, I was going to say, Emily, those yogis are up to something, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so many of these things are ancient. So many of these yeah. things are ancient, but because they don't cost anything, we don't hear about them, which is really a shame. But I, I'm sure you've talked and to so many people with, about sleep, and my sleep was disordered. I stayed up way too late, and I couldn't wake up in the morning. And I thought, I have got to change this. Um, and I, I followed some neuroscientist who had great advice, which I have followed, and it made a huge difference, a positive impact on my sleep, where every morning – I make sure within 30 to 60 minutes of waking, I go outside and I get light exposure. I don't look directly in the sun, but I just get exposure. And even those people who live at higher latitudes or in areas where they don't have sun, the photons transmit through the sun or you can get a light box. And if you do that consistently, it will reset your circadian clock. And if you go to bed at a consistent time and you wake up at a consistent time, and you sleep in a dark and cold room, I turned around my sleep habits. I mean, I, I fall asleep now at 10 o'clock and wake up at probably 5. I can't sleep quite as long as I used to. I used to be an Olympic caliber sleeper. Sadly, as I've gotten older, I'm not quite as good. But, but at least my hours, I think, are more healthy. You know, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Many years ago, I interviewed Dr. Jack Cruz. Did you come across Dr. Jack Cruz in your research? I did. Isn't he the light specialist? He knows about light. Well, he's about many things, but primarily he is about um, uh, understanding how we need to reconnect with nature um, particularly uh, natural light. We have much too much artificial blue light. And uh, he transformed himself and his 350-pound body uh, to you know, lose 100 pounds by, by basically um, he was a neurosurgeon. He is a neurosurgeon, so one of the things he learned, he was doing all his surgery at night all night long in a blue-lit room with all the electrical gadgets going off. And uh, so he stopped that. He, he, um, he would um, then start watching the sun at sunrise. So, you know, big thing for him is there is when we, when we watch the, the frequencies or exposed to the frequencies the first hour or so of the sunrise, we are getting what he calls native EMS, which establishes goes into our eyes, actually we have receptors on our skin, that is establishing these healthy circadian rhythms of every single organ of the body. 
and um, all illness is a mismatch of our circadian rhythms in one way or another, which comes from our indoor artificial lit world. And um, he would also talk about the need to get back to grounding to actually connect with the magnetic field of the earth. And, you know, there's just are other things. You, you probably came across the, I think you talk about the cold water thermogenesis. Uh, mm -hmm. Totally changed his body, totally changed his health, and it's totally changed my health because that's what I've been doing. And I'm blessed because I, I can sit on my balcony and actually watch the sunrise every morning. And where I am, the sunrise is about 4.30 a.m. <laughs> so wow. I'm up. I'm up at 4 a.m. naturally, just wake up, the birds wake me up, and I can sit and watch the sun rise, and I'm five minutes from a beach, I can, you know, take my shoes off and go down to the beach, And but I, I, have, I, I feel like it has made such a difference, reconnecting with these natural rhythms, which we evolved with, they signal the body to optimally function, and parts of the chronic illness story, and I'm sure you have found this, Emily, is that we have so disconnected ourselves from the natural healing power found in these, you know, with these things, with nature. Um, it's, it's profound. It, you know, it was so profound to learn this from um, the work of Dr. Jack Cleese. Yeah, but isn't that great? That these are things that people can do. They, they're not very intrusive. They don't take a lot of money. And you'll feel better if you do them. I mean, the, we just need to get the message out to people that do these things. It's worth it to feel better. It's worth everything to feel better. You don't have a life until you can yeah. feel better. And you can't, you know, you can't function. You can't think. You don't have the energy. It's not living, right? And that's, you know, you're, you're so blessed, Emily, you, you know, through the journey you've been on and, your father was the big piece of that awakening, and then your your desire to learn more and your research skills. Not only have you discovered so much, and now you're sharing it with your book and all the presentations, but mostly it was your transformation. Your transformation. Think of what would have happened to you if you didn't start on this path. I can't imagine because I was definitely going down the wrong path. I was. And, you know, I, I see it with my sons. When you're young, you can get away with so much. You can do a lot of bad things. And because you're young and your self turnover is rapid and you're fairly resilient, you get away with it. And then all of a sudden one day it catches up to you and you can't get away with it anymore. And I thought, why not tell people don't do it that way? There's a better way. All those things that we do to ourselves when we're young – it's really not worth it. It's just not to have to pay later on. It's like you pay now or you pay later. And when you pay later, I think you pay a much higher price. Exactly. And, you know, it's much more cumulative, the damage, and so much more difficult to to reverse, to be honest, yeah. right? Like your dad, you know, at that point, um, the damage was done. So yeah. uh, he gave you such a gift, Emily, didn't he? He did. He did. I mean, in so many ways. He was, he was just a great father. He, I dedicated my book to him. He really was. I only, I only wish he was alive today, but I'm lucky that I had such a great father. And I had him until 91. So, so that's pretty good. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think he's still around. Very proud of you. Oh, thank you. That's nice of you to say. I hope so. I do. Yeah, indeed. I'm, I'm, I, I am definitely a believer of that. Definitely believe that those souls are there. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, in the, in the few minutes we have left, let's talk about your book. Let's talk about what you're doing. And uh, anything else you want to uh, share that we haven't covered that you think is important? Gosh, we've covered a lot. Um, we pretty much hit, uh, I would say, the, one of the only other things that I have a whole chapter on and that I still work on, um, well, there's two things that I struggle with that I believe are worth trying hard to fix. One is stress, because stress is an issue, and nobody gets through life without stress. Um, but I think it's about how we respond to stress, how we frame it, and how we respond to it, because it's inevitably, it's inevitably going to be there. And I know that I need to get better with dealing with it, but it's definitely something that everyone should focus on, to try and improve their stress response. And the other thing that I struggle with is hydration. Um, and hydration is really important. The function of water is to aid in the transmission and absorption of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients in our cells, and not to mention digestion and detoxification and excretion of waste products. And the eight glasses a day that we all hear is really just an average. You have to consider your age and your weight, your climate, your activity level, how much you sweat, how frequently you urinate, but it's hard to force I find that I have to constantly remind myself to drink water, but I know that when I do, I feel better. So that's another thing that I know everyone's heard many, many times, but it's a good one to focus on. Well, that's a big story too, because you need the right kind of water. The, the, you need to, um, the thing that I've learned and why I so appreciate the role of hydration and all the things that you mentioned, but our, our fascia, actually is a transmitter of frequencies throughout our body. It's a superconductor highway of information, and it has to be adequately hydrated. So if we don't have proper hydration, not only don't we digest properly and we can't think properly, but, but actually we can't give the right information to every single cell in our body to do its job properly. So... It's a big story, and you can't do that with water out of the tap, <laughs> I have to say. Right, 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 right. No, I go into filtered water and, and yeah, all the different types of yeah. water that there are. Yeah, that, that's really important. That, that's yeah, a, that's really a big one. But the definitely. other thing I didn't talk about, which is a favorite, is um, that I did, that I think in the future everyone, I think it's going to be standard of care. I don't know how long it will take, but it gives such valuable information in, in connection with glucose is a continuous glucose monitor. I don't have diabetes or prediabetes, and a continuous glucose monitor is a device designed for those who do have diabetes, but it is such a great thing for everyone to try at least for two weeks. And you get your doctor to write a prescription, and you put it on your arm, and you pair it to your phone, and you, you monitor it constantly throughout the day and the night, and you determine what you, how your body responds to what you eat because seemingly benign foods like bananas or carrots that are good whole foods, depending upon one's own biochemistry and genetics, it could cause you to spike glucose. And the consistent glucose spikes 
that are really harmful for us. And it's really valuable to know how do I respond to these foods because we're all so different. And I just am such a believer that one day everyone is going to have a CGM. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, listen, if people want to learn more about your work, first of all, your website is optimizingyourhealth.co, correct? Is that correct? It's also accessible by my name, emilygoldmears.com. Emilygoldmears, M-E-A-R-S.com, or optimizingyourhealth.co. And, um, you know, in, in the couple of minutes we have left, what are you, what are you, you know, what do people find on your website or where do they find your book? Give us some more uh, uh, resources so people can take advantage of all the wonderful research you've done over these years, Emily, all the hours you've spent <laughs> investigating this and, and your own personal journey. Well, thank you for that. Um, my book is available on Amazon, um, on my website, on all of the online booksellers, Target, Walmart, and independent booksellers. Um, and I have a uh, Instagram account and a Facebook account and a LinkedIn account where I do videos and information, biology tips and things like that. Um, and I just am working hard to share the information. I want people to know that they can and they should become their own healthcare advocate and take charge because they'll feel better and they'll be happy that they did it. Well, that's wonderful. You can, you can really feel your passion, Emily. You just put your heart and soul into this work into this um, purpose that you're on, this path of service. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for putting all of your time into bringing this information and collecting it in a way that is easy for people to understand and to really uh, appreciate why it's necessary to, to make these changes. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with you. It was so interesting, and I appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm happy to be able to be here and to introduce people to you and your work and your book. And, again, if you want to learn more about Emily's work, go to optimizingyourhealth.co or just go to her website through her name, Emily Goldmears, M-E-A-R-S. Emily, thanks so much for everything you do. It's a pleasure having you on the show and having this wonderful conversation. Thank you. And to all my listeners, thank you again for joining me. And you know if you'd like to get the archives of these shows and also of the other show I do, The Love Code, every Saturday at 11 a.m. on Progressive Radio, um, you can go over to what Women Must Know, which is my Facebook page, like me there, or you can opt into my website, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman, drcherylselman.com, and uh, then I get to send you all of these great conversations along with other great things that I send out on occasion. So until next time, I always like to say, honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now.